Welcome to Ship It, a podcast about ops, infrastructure, and flying. This is our fifth Kaizen with Adam and Jared, where we talk about the next improvement to changelog.com. We are now running on fly.io, and the PostgreSQL is managed. This is a migration that many were curious about, including Simi the Clerk. After migrating all our MIDI files to AWS S3, check episode 40, we thought that this part was going to be easy. Plan met reality. Pull request 407 has all the details. I want to emphasize the type of partner relationships that we seek at Changelog and why they're important to us as well as to our listeners. Honeycomb and Fly.io embody the elements that we care about, and I think that we are currently missing a Kubernetes partner. Huge thanks to Fastly for shipping our episodes super fast all around the world. Check them out at Fastly.com. This episode is brought to you by Sentry. Build better software faster, diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. More than a million developers in 68,000 organizations already use Sentry, and that includes us. Here's the easiest way to try Sentry. Head to sentry.io slash demo slash sandbox. That is a fully functional version of Sentry that you can poke at. And best of all, our listeners get the team plan for free for three months. Head to Sentry.io and use the code SHIPIT when you sign up again. Sentry.io and use the code SHIPIT. We are going to ship in three, two, one. made it 50 episodes not close enough but we made 50 which means we made uh, one year right <laughs> minus the christmas i think there's like one more like 52 would be in exactly in one calendar year so 50 for us marks the year well 50 is the number we're shooting for right I mean, you want to take two weeks off in a year so we optimize for every show who is a weekly show mm-hmm. to do 50 episodes in a year so i mean that's one, that's consistency, and two, that's con- congratulations, right? Like, to keep a podcast consistent. Well played, Gerhard. Well played, sir. And hitting the mark. I mean, it's, it's a feat of nature. Most podcasts die. Yours did not. So, congratulations. Okay, I survived. <laughs> Is this like the <laughs> squid game sort of thing? <laughs> I survived this round. <laughs> How many podcasts have we produced, Jared, that did die? Like, because of burnout? None, right? I mean, request for commits... Ended. Not because of burnout, I guess, but we have some shows that didn't make it to 50. That's true. Away from Keyboard didn't. Brain Science, 20 episodes. Brain Science didn't. RFC, Request for Commits, 20 episodes. But 50 episodes is a big deal. Spotlight, I think, got to like 15, and then we merged it back into the changelog and mm-hmm. started doing Backstage, which I think is at like 23 episodes, and that's been going on for years, so... Gerhard's killing backstage. Yeah. <laughs> Long story short, congratulations. And, you know, to you, yeah. Gerhard, and the listeners for for sticking around. Like, it's one thing to put your faith in a brand new show. It's another to keep coming back. And based on the listens, based on the traction of the show, you found your audience, which is awesome. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it, I have to say. It's been a year, and it doesn't feel that it's been a year, which is really weird. I was looking at, because every year I try to look at the themes, like what is still relevant, what is still with us. And looking back at the first episodes, I realized, wow, some of those, it's been a year. It was like yesterday, it felt like some of those conversations. I guess Uh it's too soon to have some of those people back. So this is one for the audience. In the 50 episodes, if there's one that you really enjoyed and you want that person to be back or those people to be back, let us know. I'll be more than happy to have them back and I know that they will enjoy it too because we had so much fun in every single episode. And the easy way to do that is go to changelaw.com slash request. You can do that for every show, not just this show, but uh, in particular, changelaw.com slash request. So request a, a be back is what we call them. Who should be back? Yeah, that's a great one. Also, this episode initially when we intended it, like we knew it was going to come, right? Like the next Kaizen. I really mm-hmm. like that regularity. I like that every 10, we're back with a Kaizen. But this one was actually a request. And it, things just like worked out that way. So this one was a request from uh, Simi the Clerk at the end of February. Ah, Simi. Yeah, Simi was asking. So he wrote, 
The changelog DevOps seems complicated, yet a lot of past providers want us to believe we can just slap in all, their, all of their services and only worry about scaling much later. So he was wondering is what would happen if changelog just ran on Heroku? How much of the current setup is necessary to support the current scale and how much of it is over-engineering nerding out? So we get to answer mm. your questions, Simi, in this episode. Ah, the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. Yes. How so? Are we on Heroku now? Uh, we're on Paz. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the spo- like, like spoiler. We're on Paz. It's not Heroku, it's Fly. We're on a Paz. Hence, we are flying. We're literally flying and figuratively, but literally yeah. <laughs> the app is flying. In the last Kaizen episode 40, we talked about migrating all our static assets to AWS S3, and that was one of the steps in this direction. And the background story is in pull request 400. You can check the code. And we even did some Kaizen-driven development during the recording. Jared was adding some CDN shielding live on the show, as you do. Why yeah. not? Like, you know, to, to shield the S3 origin, to keep the AWS costs under control. And that was a really fun one. I was not expecting that. Like, it was literally not planned out. It just happened. I love that. Well, that's how we roll, you know. We we turn it on and we let we let it alone <laughs> until mid-show when I think it was Adam that asked about the cost and I was like, maybe I should check that real quick mm-hmm. because we set it and forget it. I think it was like 6 or 7 days later, which one listener I think uh kind of called us out for, you know, bad DevOps practices there. That's my bad. I'll I'll take full ownership. And found out, you know, yeah, we're paying uh, 1,900% more on our AWS bill than the previous month, which was never a fun surprise, but one that you want to have sooner rather than later. So props on Adam for triggering me. And yeah. then I guess props to me for turning shielding <laughs> on really fast, which cut it down immediately to about half. But we were still overpaying for a couple of reasons. So I spent a few hours over the next couple of days making sure that we're, we're holding S3 right which was a combination of uh, the shielding changes inside Fastly, like we said, as well as setting the proper surrogate cache control keys inside our application when we upload to Fastly because, or sorry, when we upload to S3 because S3 has to signal to Fastly how often to break the cache and do the full request again. And then we also can tell Fastly how long to do it. So there's like le- multiple layers of caching here and as we all know, cache and validation, one of the hard problems of computer science. Well, we're just layering them on and took a few days, but we ended up getting it fixed. I think in January, we paid around $600 for S3. And that was the month that we turned it on at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we were pacing to spend about two grand a month on S3. And then after the changes in February, we paid $92.85. And in March, it's down to $44.20. And we don't have April's bill yet. So we're expecting around 50 bucks a month for S3, which is totally reasonable and sustainable. Whereas $2,000 a month for the size of our yeah. business was <laughs> yeah. not. I would say thanks for Kaizen too, because if we didn't have this Kaizen kind of ritual, I would even say like a constraint, you know, we would have asked that question when we got the bill. Yeah, we would have. Which could have been, you know, enormous. So thank you for Kaizen. From my perspective, there's just a few manual things that you have to do that I didn't expect you'd have to do with S3, specifically setting those cache headers, which you have to go out of your way with the command line tools and with the way that we're uploading the static assets to S3. So like our uploads, we're getting the, the correct surrogate control header set, but our static assets, which we just switched, were not. And there was just way more to it than I had ever had to do before, I guess because I have not used s3 on a website that gets the amount of traffic that we get specifically to our mp3s so i want want to mention a couple of things first of all i don't think many people realize just how big of a scale changelog is so if you had to guess in how many gigabytes we serve per day how many would you say it is i mean maybe jared if you already know i'm not going to ask you but maybe adam i mean i'm not sure when you looked last but i checked this before the show so how many Gigabytes do you think we serve per day? I'm going to guess for real. I would say knowing the size of our content and how much throughput we have, it's probably close to a terabyte, I would say. You know, it's probably still in gigs, but like close to a terabyte, I would say, per day. Okay. Jared? Am I way off? No, I'm not looking at it, but I have looked at it. I think that's high. Am I right? Is that high? It's actually 1.5 terabytes on a regular day, and it spikes to 2 terabytes, 3 terabytes on a busy day. Wow. So we are averaging... Averaging 1.6 terabytes per day. Well, those are prices right out win. Yeah. 
Adam wins for sure. Adam wins this one. So can you imagine yeah, yeah. if our caching wasn't right, how expensive our S3 bill would be like per day based on how much stuff we serve and how slow it would be if our CDN didn't work correctly. So big props mm -hmm. to Fastly. As complicated and, you know, sometimes we, we pick on it and we'll pick on this episode as well. Sorry about that. <laughs> but just to say something nice, <laughs> which is also come. true. <laughs> like Fastly really fronts a lot of traffic from all over the world. Like Asia wow. gets yeah. a lot of traffic, Taiwan especially. Taiwan all of a sudden, yeah, which is somewhat new for us, I think. Yeah. I mean, for some reason, ship it. Jared mentioned too, it's really popular in Taiwan. Big in Taiwan. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not big in Japan. I was a bit disappointed, but big in Taiwan. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Japan. <laughs> ship it. So if we average that from 1.5 a day to 30, like there's 30 days in, the, in a month. So you're saying that on a given day, even weekends is still 1.5. Would it be fair to average 1.5 or what would a good daily average be? To extrapolate that, if we go, let's see. I, I had this open before, so we'll need what to, I'm edit to this get one to out. is like, what's the total then? So is the total like forty-five terabytes a month in March? All of March, we had forty-five point six terabytes in all of March. That's serious, man. It's some serious traffic, exactly. Like we have some serious traffic, is what I'm trying to say. But that, but I mean, I, I can check this out, anyways. Maybe we'll sure. do like a screenshot later. So, and for context, our episodes range from like forty megabytes to on the low end to maybe hundred megabytes on the high end. So these right. are larger than images, but these are not like video-sized files by any means. So, and uh, a lot of the times, like ranges are being served, so like not full episodes. Mm -hmm. Like for example, I tend to listen to an episode, and I listen to your the one the episode with uh, Brian Kernigan. I think like four times now as I was like walking to the post office because I had a couple of trips. So I listened like five minutes here, 10 minutes there. I'm still like halfway through right. it, but it's, I've been like working on it for about, for about a week now. And I imagine <laughs> that many people do the same thing. And that's why there's like a lot of ranges being served, but it's still, it's a serious amount of traffic. So if CDN, if you were holding the CDN wrong, we would really see that as we did in the case of S3, or we were holding S3 wrong. Yeah. I forget which one. Anyways, we were holding something wrong, <laughs> or at least one thing wrong. So there's that. Well, we're holding it right now, so that, that feels good. So we switched to Fly.io. That's our new origin. There's like a nice mm -hmm. story there. But I'm curious, when we did this migration from LK to Fly.io, did you notice any change, Adam? Did the app behave any different? Do you push changes differently? What did you notice? I haven't shipped any changes to the code base since the move. So on that front, the answer is no, because I haven't yet. Mm -hmm. I assume I'll just ship the master as I do before and it same build pipeline as planned. In terms of the app, I haven't hit any errors. I haven't noticed anything really necessarily positive or negative. I think that's probably the best thing you want, right? Like is yeah, if you exactly. do make a major change that there's no bumps or hurdles. The site was always fast. I mean, that's one thing. So I I haven't noticed anything really, which I think is a positive. It is a positive. That's that's why this work is called invisible. If you do your job right, yeah. you don't see anything. So there's like all these big changes, but nothing changes from the perspective of users. Users see the same thing. No downtime, mm -hmm. nothing like that. Well, we did have some downtime, but anyways, we, we will leave that for a little bit later. But nobody noticed. <laughs> yeah, nobody noticed. And there's a good reason why it's, it's been designed that way. But what about you, Jared? Because you work a lot closer. Did you notice any changes? Oh, yeah. So from a end user perspective, using the application or from a developer perspective? You can start with whichever you want. So end user perspective, it was pretty similar. Of course, no surprise there because Fastly is fronting every request for the most part. Mm-hmm. On the admin, however, we, we bypass Fastly. We still send through Fastly, but we don't actually let Fastly cache anything. Yeah. And I would say slight, just anecdotal speed improvements on the back end, my perspective. Okay. We did have the robots.txt issue, which came out of this, which was oh, uh, yes. problematic. And we dug into, and I, I fixed that one. We could talk the details if you want to on that or skip over it. Either mm -hmm. way, that was the biggest, I think, technical bug that cropped up due to the switch. Do you know how I found that? I randomly just searched us changelog media on Google. I'm like, whoa, that looks weird. Yeah. So I think I was telling somebody like our full business name. And I was like, what are they going to find if they go Google this changelog media, like versus just changelog. And uh, obviously the results were weird looking. Yeah. And that was the result uh, just a little bit of de detail there. So we basically, our robots.txt is dynamically served, which I wouldn't do normally, but... We want the ability to have these limitless subdomains for 
testing and previews and migrations. Gerhard likes 21.changelog.com, 22. Dot, et cetera. There's a www which gets redirected, stuff like that. And if it was me, I would redirect all those to the Apex domain and say, you can't do that. No, don't do that. But mm-hmm. Gerhard wants that. And I'm like, all right, especially if we're having like previews and stuff. I understand the reasoning. But unfortunately, Google was starting to index some of those subdomains and they have the same exact content as the main domain. And that's not great for SEO and the way our canonical stuff works. I just didn't want to have it. So we have dynamic robots.txt, which if it detects change.com, it's going to serve the one that we're used to, which is like allow everything except for like ignore the admin, ignore some stuff, even though you have to be signed in, just whatever. There's a few ignores, but mostly just allow. And then if it detects not that, then it's like, hey, disallow all. Don't index 22.changelog.com. And the way that dynamic robots.txt works requires the host header to sniff the origin domain. And we lost that in transition over to fly because it's like I had to switch to, do you remember what it was, the key? There's another X forwarded header, something like that. X forwarded host, maybe? X forwarded host, that's right. And so we began after the fly migration to block Google from indexing our entire website. So that's no good. (laughs) It didn't actually affect our search traffic for a while. I think maybe Google just took a while to actually do its thing. And then eventually Adam noticed that it did. And I dug in there and got that fixed. So that was not great. And I almost think that it's the way I coded it. If I could code it open by default, but then closed, if you detect the abnormal circumstance, I think it would have been fine. But that's a lot harder because then we have to have like a a list of domains of subdomains that we detect. And the way I did it was like closed by default, but open if I detect the right origin and that busted. So fixed, but that was definitely like a, that was a big one. Holy cow. Get, get the text editor out and fix it right away. Kind of a thing. It's not like, Oh, no big deal. That was bad. It's stuff like that, which unless you make these big changes, you forget that they even exist. And the problem is like you have quite a few of those in your code base, mm-hmm. especially if it's more complicated, if you're like many people touching it, ch- making changes basically. And in our case, because we make these changes fairly frequently, at least once a year, right? We're migrating from one Kubernetes to another, but this time we change platforms. And because we change platforms, we are using the fly.dev domain. Right. So we have like all traffic coming to dub, 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 or the Apex, changelog.com goes through Fastly. There's the entry point. But then we have those origins, which if you want to bypass Fastly, you can go directly to the origin. So we had 22.changelog.com. And that used to resolve to a node balancer, a little node balancer, which would be provisioned via LKE. We'll have an ingress, and that's how that would that used to work before. But when we migrated to Fly, we no longer have the changelog domain. We're using the fly.dev domain. And once we did that, a bunch of stuff broke, especially this one, like uh, mm-hmm. the robots text. So I think there's something to improve for us. And I'm wondering what that improvement looks like. We don't have to talk about it now, but it's something that I definitely want to dig into as a pull request, as a follow-up, whatever that looks like. But that is an important one because I would like us to have multiple origins, like flies one, but should we have more? We talked about multi-platform for a while. And while I don't think we'll do that in a rush, I still think we would like to be open to that. So we're not, you know, fly nothing else. We like it. It's great. But, you know, so we thought the same about LKE and it was for a while and we enjoyed it, but then something else comes along and then we, it makes more sense and we try it and then we like it. So <clears> the <throat> idea being these improvements make a lot of sense. I wish we knew about that, but you, you don't. And, and that's what happens. Like same thing with S3. There's like the unknown unknowns. There's no way you will know how it's going to affect until you make the change. Right. And that's why when we did the migration and the last step of switching traffic, we realized, oh crap, there's this problem in the VCL config. But maybe we don't talk about that just yet. And we <laughs> talk about other changes that we notice since migrating. So one thing which I noticed today as I, as I was editing episodes, this is as, as an end user, I noticed that I had to save an episode multiple times to see a change. So I was doing some edits, episode 49, save, refresh the page, the changes weren't there. I thought it was caching, but then I was bypassing fastly. I went directly to the origin. So I was. it's a nice way to be able to rule the CDN out and everything's still working. And for some reason, the page was not updating. And only when I saved it again, like the second time, even though nothing changed, then it updated. 
it might be the app maybe i don't know maybe jared knows there's like some caching something happening mm -hmm. because the one component which is new that we don't we didn't have before is now we have a uh, the fly proxy the fly proxy is the equivalent of the ingress nginx and i'm not sure how that behaves because we don't have any logs from it that's like a request mm -hmm. and we'll talk to mark about it but um we can't see what's happening in that proxy layer it's like an invisible component so maybe this is something happening happening at that layer but we don't see that i haven't experienced that but i would say that that's definitely not in the app i think we've used the app extensively at this point i've never seen that and so i would think that's probably infrastructure and the, the code around the backman episode form hasn't changed for years so yeah i would expect that to be infra okay or your internet connection gerhard it could have been your internet connection no it's definitely not <laughs> like it's really is it <laughs> and we're not opening okay. that can of worms now <laughs> we need like a, the whole episode just for that but no it's not that so anyways we kind of did so, we kind of did so i'm suspecting something happening at a fly proxy but it's something to look into for sure i mean that is that must be a really complicated piece of tech because it's fronts all the whole traffic to the different fly apps right that you have running all the instances, yeah. everything. But the other thing which I noticed, and I think this 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 talks about speed, is the the miss latency. So when the requests in the CDN, uh, we we can't serve them from the CDN, and they have to go to the origin. That went up to two hundred and fifty milliseconds, and we can see that in the fastly uh, metrics. And it used to be one hundred and fifteen milliseconds, so it's more than twice as high. And maybe it's not not big enough for you to notice. But I'm really wondering, like, what is happening there? Now, the other thing which we changed is we remove shielding. So we no longer have shielding. So what that means is that any request going to a Fastly pop, it has to go to the origin. It can't go to a shield, another like Fastly pop, which basically has has it in the cache, maybe. Right. So that's for, for clarity, that's shielding on the changelog.com domain or origin, not on the cdn.changelog.com, which goes to S3. So shielding there is on shielding on changelog.com is off. It used to be on for both. Yeah. So we're hitting fly more than we were hitting Kubernetes. Exactly. Yeah. Like before we weren't hitting ingress nginx as much as we're hitting the, the fly proxy. So that's the one thing. But again, I, I suspect that if we had more details from the, from the fly proxy, we would be able to tell because that's like one blind spot that we don't see or one component that we don't see. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fire Hydrant. Fire Hydrant is the reliability platform for every developer. Incidents, they impact everyone, not just SREs. They give teams the tools to maintain service catalogs, respond to incidents, communicate through status pages, and learn with retrospectives. What would normally be manual, error-prone tasks across the entire spectrum are responding to an incident. They can all be automated in every way with Fire Hydrant. They have incident tooling to manage incidents of any type with any severity with consistency declare and mitigate incidents all from inside slack service catalogs allow service owners to improve operational maturity and document all your deploys in your service catalog incident analytics allow you to extract meaningful insights about your reliability over any facet of your incident or the people who respond to them and at the heart of it all incident runbooks they let you create custom automation rules convert manual tasks into automated reliable repeatable sequences that run when you want you can create Slack channels, Jira tickets, Zoom bridges instantly after declaring an incident. Now your processes can be consistent and automatic. The next step is to try it free. Small teams up to 10 people can get started for free with all Fire Hydrant features included. No credit card is required. Get started at firehydrant.io. Again, firehydrant.io. Okay, so you must be wondering, why did we really need to migrate off Kubernetes? Because we've been talking about Kubernetes, or I have been talking about Kubernetes for like 49 episodes, and all of a sudden I'm telling you, what? We switched <laughs> from Kubernetes. And it's not because Simi asked, just to be clear, <laughs> Simi asking like, why don't we use a pass? It just so happened that it fit 
Right. You're telling me this whole thing is not because of an episode request? No, 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 no. Because no. I mean, that would be as listener first as you could possibly get, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> reminds me, we have a, another episode request that says well, you should rewrite your platform in closure. So go to AWS Lambda. <laughs> See you two years later. <laughs> Why is this not written in Go? Okay. I guess we'll restart. There you go. Or Rust. No, even better, Rust, right? For sure. Or both. I would say there's multiple layers to this. Why? Honestly, like there's multiple layers. There's gonna be layers from you, Gerhard, you, you yeah. Jared, and there's layers from me. And then obviously from the listener's perspective, it's thinking like, okay, why is this seemingly just a podcast host app running Kubernetes question of like, you know, what's what's the deal here? So we should definitely tread on that ground some, but uh, okay, who wants to go first? Why do we do this? Who wants to kick it off? Alphabetical order, I propose. Yeah, that means Adam. I'll go Adam. Adam's first. I think for me, the reason, because I mean, I think I resisted, I pushed back on the two of you on a possible change for a while, because at the core of our business, we really thrive on great partnerships. Fastly has been a great partnership. We talked about how they fronted our traffic, how much traffic they front for us. And it's, it's really amazing. And I think we're uniquely positioned in our business as podcasters that also talk about tech, in particular software and how it works and how it's deployed and how... It affects teams, how it affects the future, the innovation, open source, business. I mean, all the different angles. And so at the heart of our business, we really thrive on great partnerships. And Linode had been a great partner for many years. And they were recently acquired and there's nothing negative about Linode. They're still an amazing team. But I think we, to the nerd out question, we wanted to nerd out at several layers deeper. And we just didn't have that opportunity at Linode with Kubernetes quite like we could. And, you know, lo and behold, about a year ago, I was reintroduced to, to Kurt Mackey. Jared, you spoke with him on the changelog solo a while back. He's got mm-hmm. lots of interesting routes that cross ours from Ars Technica to, you know, Compose with the IBM acquisition and just a lot of history there. And don't buy my nasally cold, by the way. So if you hear me out of breath, I kind of am out of breath. So bear with me. But I was reintroduced to him and really fell in love with how he approaches this fly platform. And the way he desires to engage with developers. And then obviously the the influence they've had over Elixir and some of the roots they've sort of planted there and the the depth they go with different frameworks and platforms, I think was really attractive to me. And they're also really just fun and easy to work with. And from from a neural perspective, I think it's gonna be fun to to be flying with them and to, you know, to help them improve that platform and obviously to bear some of those benefits. So the why from my perspective is is we desire great and deep relational partnerships. And so because of that, we had this opportunity and this curiosity and the possibility of a better way for our application. So there's just a lot of multiple win-win-wins to just say, yeah, let's do this. And so that's my reason for why. That's a good one. That that hits some really important aspects. For me, it was a couple of things. One recent one, Kelsey was mentioning about having a managed PostgreSQL. And I was thinking, yeah, like, why why don't we do that? Like, why don't we just go and get a managed PostgreSQL from somewhere? I know that we talked about CockroachDB for a while, but that just, the change is too big. I remember Jared pushing a little bit, bit back on that. Like, is there something small mm-hmm. that we can do as a first step? So Linode, I think the MySQL is in private beta or it was in private beta when I last looked at it. Maybe it has not been made available more widely in more locations, but they didn't have, and they still don't have PostgreSQL today. And that may seem like a small thing, but we did have quite a few issues with PostgreSQL and we had downtime because of it. We, you know, went Kubernetes operators and it's just a complex problem, which should we really be spending any time on? And the answer is no. And, you know, Kelsey put it very nicely in episode 44, why we shouldn't do that. And it really got me thinking, like, why, what, what is the holdout? Like, why are we doing this? So that was one thing. The other thing was the forced migration. I really did not like that, I have to say. Say more about that. So mid-January this year, we got an end-of-life notice for Kubernetes 120. And I knew it was coming, so it wasn't a surprise, but we just had to upgrade. And at that point, we spun up another 122 cluster because we you know, we, we, we run two of, of, of everything, more or less. So a few things happened since then. You know, We just couldn't complete the migration, but it was a testing ground for the S3 assets. I remember us testing, like, does this app work correctly in, in its final setting with the S3 assets? And that, that, that really helped, and everything worked, so it was fine, but we still had a couple of components missing, so we couldn't just like do the, do the migration. Mid-March, we got a final 
end-of-life notice for Kubernetes 120, which is what was running production, changelog.com, the origin. And if we didn't upgrade in the next 48 hours, we would have been forced to upgrade to 121. And we couldn't stop the upgrade. I reached out to support. The answer was you either upgrade it or we force upgrade it. Now, the problem with that was that we had the PostgreSQL data. See, it keeps coming back to it. We were storing it on the local storage. Why? Because it was the most reliable configuration for our database. When we used the block storage, when we used the volume, we had all sorts of issues with volumes not detaching correctly. And I know these were early days, but we had issues around like not having NVMe drives. I mean, that has changed in, in the meantime. So there are like certain limitations which were preventing us from using PostgreSQL the way it's meant to be used in Kubernetes. And it just goes to show it's a hard problem. So if we had let the upgrade, the force upgrade go through, we would have like everything would have been broken. It would have been like in a mad scramble to fix it. And no one wants to do that because then you do mistakes. You know, that was like, I think in the middle of the night for me, it was just like an awkward way to go about it. And we already had this 122 cluster set up. So why can't we just use that? So I think to cut the long story short, this force upgrade was not nice. And having like this, like, and, and asking like, hey, can we, can we defer this? Like, can we just like, it's just a matter of a few days. So because the big thing, and I think this is like the backstory that, that, that people are missing. I just joined Dagger. We were launching Dagger. It was a crazy couple of months and I couldn't have, I didn't have any spare cycles to do this. It's not because I didn't want to. I was looking forward to that, but I was always like pushed to do things. I was like, when I'll have time, I'll get to it. Okay. But not now. Mm-hmm. And that pressure was just, you know, like whenever you're under pressure, it doesn't matter how much experience you are, it just takes the joy out of it. And that's why we mm-hmm. did it. Like we did it for the learnings, we did it for the joy, we did it for, you know, this is fun. It's not, it's not work, work, you know, we're doing this for the learnings. So I think, and there's a couple more, but I'll, I'll, I'll let Jared go next. Well, I want to throw one thing in there too, because I think this, this is part of the frustration we have, because if we had a deeper partnership at the nerd out level, mm-hmm. this may not have been quite a problem because if you have empathy from your partner, and I'm not saying that Linode is bad. I'm not trying to say they're bad. We just didn't have that kind of access, which is what we desired. And that's why working with Fly makes sense. That's why this why makes sense to me. Because if we had that, if we could say, here's our challenge, we, we're in the middle of something else. We, we can't make this, and this force upgrade is really, you know, bogarting our abilities right now. Well, if you have that deeper level partnership, deeper level access to those who can not force you to upgrade, then there might be an easy yes, because we had like zero empathy. It was support. It was just support. We didn't have an advocate for us technically inside of Linode having our back. And that to me is challenging because we desire to partner at that level Hmm. because of this show and what we do. And that's why it makes sense for us. So if we had that, it may have been a different story necessarily. We may not have gotten curious to go and say, well, maybe this past makes more sense. We really desire just that deeper partnership. And that's what we have now. I'm sure if there was something happening on the fly platform in the next year and it was going to, you know, there would be some work around. We would have some sort of handholding, some sort of guidance, some sort of empathy and forgiveness in the process. Well, everything I will add is additive because I'm well aware of both of what you have both said. So those reasons I think are actually enough. But from my perspective and why I've been excited about this shift is because I'm a Heroku fanboy from way back. I mean, I'm an old school sysadmin. I was like, you know, SSH into the machine, set up some cron jobs, you know, copy the stuff, rsync the things, back up the database. And once I didn't have to do that stuff anymore with Heroku, I never wanted to do any of that stuff ever again. I am a loyal listener of Ship It, but I don't do any of the things that you guys talk about doing on Ship It. I just like your show, Gerhard. But (laughs) once Heroku came around, I was just like, yeah, let's just let Heroku do all the things. And when it came to Elixir, I lost that when we we're like going to go deploy this Elixir app. And so that's when I brought you in to help me do the things that I used to be okay at, but also don't know how to do things well anymore and in this ecosystem. And thus began our story. When it came to Ansible, I was along for the ride. When it came to Concourse CI, I was just riding your coattails. When it came to Kubernetes, I was like, I hope Gerhard knows what he's doing because I don't, right? And so just the Heroku style. Paz for me is exciting because it's like a, I feel like it's a pool that's shallow enough that I can swim in it safely Mm -hmm. and not have to turn to you and say, 
what's the cube cuddle thing or the K9s yeah, thing because those are just mm-hmm. yeah, those are just areas that I don't normally swim that deep in. And just being back on this short time, like I've been able to figure out some stuff of myself and do things the way, I mean, it's not as polished as Heroku. I can, we might get into some of those details, but it feels familiar. And for me, my mental model is so much simpler and it's not for any reason. I don't think, except for that, I never acquired the knowledge, the deep knowledge of the other platform. And so this is something I feel like I can grok more simply and administer without you. And even the other day I asked you a question, you weren't around, I figured it out, you know? And there were a couple times in the previous setups where I was like, I asked you a question, you don't answer because you're working or whatever. And I try to figure it out and I'm like, nah, I'll just wait. I'll just wait for Gerhard. Yeah. And so that for me is, that's exciting about simplifying for me so that I can do more stuff. That is a big one. That is a big one because what I'm hearing is I did not build a platform that Jared needs for obvious reasons. <laughs> so is there yeah. one that we could use that would work? And and Fly definitely fits that bill. But just to mention, like, just like to, again, the additive, I just like to keep, keep that point of view. Mm-hmm. To what Adam said, the interaction that we had with Fly was amazing. We had a Slack channel. We were able to, t- to talk to mm-hmm. Kurt. We were able to talk to Mark. We were able to, I think, Joshua. There was like someone else and, and I forget their names, but everyone was so helpful. Everyone was there. Like we had an issue and like it was fixed like next day. And this is like a genuine issue on the platform. So they're iterating. There's even like comments on the PR from Kurt, you know? Exactly. So yeah. it's like there's a feedback loop, which we just did not have. So uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the PR 407. You can go and check it out. But there's there's one more thing, which I think you will want to stick out for. So we said that we migrated to Fly.io, not the first time. <laughs> that didn't work. And it had nothing to right. do with Fly.io. So... We ended up going from Kubernetes 120 to 122 at 4 a.m. in the morning because <laughs> Fastly and Fly just did not work. <laughs> it was not going to no. work. So like 4 a.m., I'm just like, like all <laughs> Kubernetes with this because that's what I know time it and that's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like an issue between Fastly and Fly and I was like too late and I can't be bothered. I just right. want to go to sleep, you know, whatever. <laughs> Pass is meant to be easier, right? Or easy. And it wasn't. Now, again, just to be clear, it was not a Fly.io issue. It had nothing to do with Fly.io. I should say that I was with you. So it was your 4 a.m. For yeah. me, it was like 8.30 p.m., 9 p.m. And I was sick that day. And so I was like, I can't believe this is happening right now. I knew that you were, it was like the middle of the morning for you. And when you said, let's just go back and do the LK upgrade, I'm like, yes, let's just do that. And was it, it was like 15 minutes later, yeah. it was done. Like we were done. And so that was amazing. So we had like all this plan, right? Like I had like all the steps and I had like even like an incident running. It's all there. You can check out PR407. And just like when we were adding the fly uh, origin into the Fastly config, everything blew up. And what I mean by that, the requests that were not cached, they were trying to be served from AWS S3. So like admin pages and like uh, news impressions and any dynamic content was getting 404s because... AWS S3 did not have that resource. That's how it was behaving. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is going on? Like the config looks good. Like this makes no sense. So what was the problem? The problem was a VCL misconfiguration. This was in Fastly config. One of the subroutines was getting terminated before the backend was being set. And I'm still not clear whether that was the actual issue. <laughs> Why? Mm-hmm. Because we have 12,000 lines of VCL config 11.5 thousand is just gibberish because it's all the origins, right. all, the, all the various shields, and only 500 is the actual config. So you have like do some vimming, some like, you know, like, you know, like, like just like remove a lot of lines. And then it's like spaghetti code. You look at it. Why? Because it's generated <laughs> via, via click ops, right? You click through a this UI. This is why robots are not going to take over our jobs anytime <laughs> exactly. soon. Because that's what they generate is 12,000 lines. And we have to go wading through it as humans to figure out what spaghetti code that click ops generated. And it's crazy how much junk was in there. Yep, that's right. And it still is. Like, that has not been fixed. It's still there. (laughs) But we have a hack (laughs) that just kind of makes it work. You know, like, there's a VCL hack. And it's just like how VCL snippets get integrated with other types of snippets. And they all, like, get merged together into what looks like valid VCL. Right. But sometimes it takes paths that you don't expect it to. So when we removed one origin and added another one, it just wasn't even hitting it. 
So no requests are being routed to that second origin, even though everything was configured correctly and it should have worked. But, you know, there were like some if statements, nested ifs. It always starts with some nested ifs. And so Gerhard, you and I are sitting there trying to determine, this is like when you're knee deep in a long debug session and you're thinking, okay, is it because of the order in which we entered these domains, these origins? No, it's not that because of this. Is it because of, is it alphabetical? Like you start wondering, is it ordering by alphabetical? And it's like, oh, it looks like it is. Mm -hmm. Oh no, there's a case where actually it's not alphabetical. We couldn't figure out exactly what it was, but we did figure out a a workaround. What was the AI thinking when it generated this VCL? (laughs) Getting in the AI mindset. <laughs> There's no AI, by the way, just like, you know, some some automation. <laughs> and it was like so difficult. Yeah, some backend procedural code for sure. So I even wrote an app, a Go app, and it's like I was using the Fastly starting app just to try and understand how the headers are being passed through. So we have the, you, know, you remember Lazarus.ch? The Lazarus Switzerland. I mean, we already talked about it. They're one of the Kaizens. It's true, yeah. So I took yeah. that service, which is configured in, in in Fastly, to figure out. And by the way, all of this is in pull request 407. So if you read it, like you'll you'll notice why it took us two weeks longer <laughs> to migrate to Fly.io and why we had to take the Kubernetes 1.2 detour <laughs> in that migration mm-hmm. because it was just crazy. Because we were running up against the deadline. I mean, this was like a scene from a movie, you know, like Speed or uh, mm-hmm. something. You, know, you have 48 hours Swordfish. to cut over. And we- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That scene from Swordfish, that was Gerhard at 4 a.m. <laughs> Uh, have you seen that one? I, d- I know Uh-oh. the movie Swordfish. Gerhard's going to break the show again. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I do own the movie. I'll go back and watch the scene to, to laugh later. My bad. Bad idea, Jared. Oh, my gosh. Here he goes again. <laughs> Let me comment. I don't know why they're laughing so hard. Apparently, this is an amazing scene. To recap, though, the plan was to just move straight to fly. And essentially at the 11th hour, we had to throw in the towel and just submit to the migration to the newer Kubernetes, the upgraded version. We had just, we just do the upgrade because it was just too, too complex. Yeah, we just ran out of time. Which, you know, thankfully that was still a possibility that we weren't completely out of the water. Always have a plan C, seriously. Like you mm-hmm. always have to have yeah. a plan C because when plan B doesn't work, <laughs> what are you going to do? Right. The deadline was going to happen. The app was going to get upgraded. What would have happened though? So, I mean, so if we didn't upgrade to Kubernetes one from one twenty to one, or it was one dot two one, right? Is that right? One twenty one, yeah. One twenty to one twenty one. If we didn't do that, our app would have broke. Yes, we would have lost some data as well. Yeah, they were going to upgrade for us, and it wouldn't boot, right? It wouldn't boot exactly. I hate to go back to it, but that's the thing that chat my butt was like, we are going to break with this forced upgrade. It's not like oh, we'll hit, we'll have some bumps, we'll lose data, our app will break. And we'll be in a dire situation. And we made that clear. Yeah. We asked did. for, hey, how about, you know, this is like when you're hitting up against your tax deadline, you're like, can I file an extension? And the government says, sure, you can file an extension. But Lino said, no, no, there's no, there's no extension for this. This is happening. Yeah. And who knows what was going on inside to make that, that strict? Who knows? They did just go through an acquisition. Maybe there's something inside that we're not aware of, but it just wasn't offered as a possibility. Yeah. And uh, so here we are. 11th hour swordfish, swordfish and it having to cut over. And there you go. Yeah. So having that 122, you know, was really, really helpful. It was crazy how Linode had the solution for us, right? Because let's be honest, that's exactly what happened with an LK122 there. But we didn't want to go to that because we said, okay, we are going to fly. This is happening. And everything was going great, like unexpectedly good until the Fastly configuration. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was obviously like a bunch of things, you know, we were tired, you were sick, Jared, it was like a long day, it was a stressful period, you know, mistakes are made, and it's normal. Those things will happen. So how do you factor those in, in whatever you're doing? So can I share some behind the scenes in the Slack channel of what happened when you were talking with the team sure. at Fly About the VCL? They were like, you shared the fast integration, the issue that captured it, which is all out there. And Kurt's response was, that is a very large VCL. Mm-hmm. Wow. And y'all talk back and forth about bandwidth and whatnot and just just how challenging it is to deal with VCL and in particular how big that one was, which you all commented on already, which is click ops, lots of lines, not very human readable. We're not being re- replaced anytime soon. 
Now, for to, to Fastly's credit and to whomever engineer coded that back end, when you turn shielding off, it gets a lot simpler. So the VCL that's generated without shielding is dramatically shorter. So it's not like every VCL that Fastly generates is going to be inscrutable. Right. It's just that ours was. Or anybody who has shielding turned on is. And probably most people do. So mm-hmm. right. your mileage may vary. But apparently setting up a shield for, all, for pops all around the world is complicated. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of instructions for a lot of circumstances. But even if you remove all of that, so let's say you remove all the shielding. That wasn't the bug, though. Yeah, that was just obfuscating the bug. Exactly. And you look at how everything gets structured. We basically have some extra logic in a VCL snippet that configures the origin in a specific way. Okay, mm. this is my long, like, let me do it very shortly. The UI generates some VCL, which is very difficult to work with. Understand, debug, and while the UI makes it easy, it gets into situations when you can introduce bugs just because you use the UI. Like, this should not be possible. You should not get yourself in a situation when a backend is configured and everything is good, but the backend isn't used because there's a snippet which exits the subroutine before the backend is set. I mean, if you think about it, this should not be possible, and it is. I think the more important thing is I can see the same story in a way repeating itself, the Linode story, where there's no empathy, there's no collaboration on the Fastly side. There's all these issues, right, that we keep hitting across, and yes, support is good, we get our answers, but we cannot get past that stage of just getting support. And we say, look, this doesn't make sense. I mean, we still have an issue with certificates that's been two years old, and it still has not been solved. Because we're getting support, we're not getting a partner. Yeah, and I think uh, part of these shows and part of this feedback, I think, is, you know, there's going to be a fast engineer listener show one day. There's going to be somebody knowing that we desire to improve and that we're patient. We're not upset. Like, obviously, we're perturbed because it's not the ideal situation. But, you know, we desire we desire to make these partnerships not just to leverage the platforms, but to improve the platforms, which I think is key because customers won't do that for them. They're going to angrily shout at support for solutions. And they're going to move about their day and improve their product and ship better stuff and make money and profit and give back to shareholders and, you know, whatever. You know, that's how business works. Our desire is to come into this mix and say, okay, here's some amazing picks. Here's Fastly, here's Fly, here's Honeycomb, here's, you know, XYZ. And say, not just can we leverage this platform, but can we also help you improve it? We want to give you that feedback loop for us and for you because somebody out there is not telling you what we're going to tell you because we care deeply. So give us that, give us that feedback loop and we will help you improve. I remember that was one of the key reasons why we started Ship It. And we were thinking, like, do we have something here? And that was one of the pillars yeah. on which Shipit was built. We think we can do amazing things for companies out there by simply using them and by partnering with them. And it goes beyond being a partner of the show, like sponsoring a show. It really does. We'll use your stuff. We'll tell you where the blind spots are. We're t- we'll, we will tell you the things that you're missing. And it's just one perspective. You know, we're not the final word in how to design systems and how to improve systems, but it's yet another data point, and we're a patient one. We have all, like, the, the code is there. We try these things. We have all the redundancies in place. We have a resilient system. It won't break. So, and we ourselves are trying to improve along the way. And our code is open source. So when you say, okay, how does it integrate with a well-tuned application that's in production that's also open source that you can read the source code? Permissively, too. You, know, you can copy some of the code. What's our license, Jerry? Remind me. It's it's like, hey, take it if you want. MIT. Yeah, MIT. I even forget how, how little I pay attention to our license. I know it's permissive. That's all I know. It's a great thing. I mean, it makes me excited about this show. And I even like even back to being here with the fifth Kaizen, episode 50. I love when you can look back at the path you set and say, okay, this was actually a good path. Like you have some assumptions. Okay, this is a good path. Let's go it and improve as we get there. But I think Having you speak to the community and involve the community from those who are the innovators building the platforms to those who are the end users hitting the bumps and challenges along the way and the practitioners putting it to work, like that's a great mix for a show. And then us and how we leverage some, if not all of those same topics within our own platform and have that sort of, you know, retrospective basically of like, how did this go? Does it work well? You know, can we improve it? That kind of thing, I think, is such a beautiful recipe. Mm, Very well put. 
This episode is brought to you by Chronosphere. When it comes to observability, teams need a reliable, scalable, and efficient solution so they can know about issues well before their customers do. They need a solution that helps them move faster than the competition. And companies born in the cloud-native era often start with Prometheus for monitoring, which is obviously an amazing piece of software, but they quickly push it to its limits and often outgrow it. They run into issues with siloed data, missing long-term storage, and wasted engineering time firefighting the monitoring system versus delivering their application with confidence. They describe the system as a house of cards, where a single developer's seemingly benign change can overload the whole monitoring system, or they say they're flying blind because they pride themselves on making data-driven decisions, but losing visibility means they lose this competitive edge. Ryan Sokol, VP of Engineering at DoorDash, has this to say about Chronosphere. Quote, the visibility and control that Chronosphere's platform gives us to manage our observability data and costs are a game changer, especially with our unprecedented growth. End quote. Chronosphere is the observability platform for clouding of teams operating at scale. Learn more and get a demo at chronosphere.io. Again, chronosphere.io. And by our friends at NetFoundry, the creator of OpenZD. OpenZD is the only open source way to embed zero trust networking into your app. This gives you unprecedented control and security. Give your app superpowers using an OpenZD SDK and a few lines of code, or use their tunnelers to spin up zero trust networking in minutes across any cloud or device. Never face the horrors of VPNs, DNS, inbound ports, or complex firewall rules. No networking engineering skills are needed. OpenZD is trusted by developers at Microsoft, Oracle, Ramco, and more. And if you want to host your own OpenZD, use the NetFoundry SaaS, which includes free forever tiers for up to 10 endpoints so you can test things out for yourself at netfoundry.io slash changelog to learn more and get started. Again, netfoundry.io slash changelog. So I really like the journey and I'm wondering where are we going next? And you can already tell as a Kaizen listener that this is towards the end of this episode. So what is going to happen next? I'm very curious about that. There's a couple of things which I have on my list, but maybe we can start with Adam first. Or no, you know what? Let's do in the reverse alphabetical order, Jared first. Okay. Was this where I put in my fly.io feature requests? You can do. <laughs> Mark will be listening. Because <laughs> that's where I want to go <laughs> Kurt next. Kurt will be is... listening for sure, and others as well. <laughs> go for it. I like this platform. It has a kernel of something amazing. There's a lot of missing things that I would like to have as an old Heroku fanboy from way back. And the main one for now that I think is like top of my list is like, hey, how can we work with Postgres better? Because right now it's like, well, you, you work with it. I like the, there's a simplicity of like, well, you basically SSH in and just do what you would do, right? Like PSQL, mm -hmm. PG dump. And so familiar tools, it's like your own little shell there, do your own thing. But I would love to have like automated backups and things that you can just, just click a button. I, give me some click ops, right? Like, let me check the button that says manage my Postgres backups and allow me to do things. A lot of the stuff that Heroku built out over time, Fly is missing. The other thing, which I think is smart, but I hate it, is the way they do secrets, which is like 100% encrypted there. Like you can set them, but you can't read them. I understand why, but come on, man, just show me my secrets. <laughs> I need to know what they are. <laughs> yeah, it's a one way. Well, it's not really a one way. I mean, you're right. Why can the app get it? I have to log into the app and then basically echo out the environment variable. Well, come on. If, I'm, if I can do that, just go ahead and echo it out for me right here in my terminal like everybody yeah. else does. But so these are things. Those are just two off the top of my head. I could go on. Those seem like easy things to fix, though. Or easy. Well, I think to... that's probably like a decision they made. And it's like mm -hmm. a security decision. And I get it. But as an end user, it's just adding like three steps to the exact same end goal of like me also echoing out plain text to my terminal session. And so maybe those don't go over the wire. And they do. They go over SSH encrypted wire. Anyways, I'm sure they've thought through all the security concerns there. But I think as a user experience, it just kind of sucks. Those are just a couple of things. I think fly improvements, I'm looking forward to them. And I think Postgres backups and automation and those kind of things. Yeah. Do we have a solution like in the meantime for that? Because I just like PG dumped a backup and I'm thinking, I hope this is happening 
every once in a while. So apparently it's happening every day, but you can't see that. <laughs> or at least I don't know how to look at it. I just trust it. Yeah, I just trust it's there. It's like, that's why it's like managed. I'm really thinking of deploying that other container, which we had in Kubernetes as well, that would every hour would back things up. And I think even, uh, I think it was the pod. Yes, it was the pod. So we had like the init containers. The init containers before the app would start would do a backup before it runs the migration. And that was really important. So that in case the migration, you know, messes something up, you have the backup. Yeah. Fly does things differently when it comes to applications starting up. So that life cycle, and this was one of the issues with, with Heroku as well. You didn't have like those, those nice hooks put into them, like for example, init, like pre-start, pre-stop, all that is just like a bit, I know it's like a, the detail that the majority doesn't care about, but for us, it's really important. Like how can we trigger, for example, backup before we run a migration? Mm-hmm. Or if an app crashes, can we, I know, like save the crash dump somewhere, the Erlang crash dump? And like things like the, these, that especially when you are so deeply integrated with, with Phoenix and Elixir as Fly is, we should have those things. Because they are like, you know, first class in Erlang, Elixir, and Phoenix. That's one right there. So I like that I can do fly logs. Like I used to do Heroku logs, dash, dash, tail. And like right there, easy to get at my logs. I would also like those to be in Honeycomb. So oh, yes. Query them later. And so I don't know. I mean, that's probably a, is that a Gerhard thing. Is that a fly thing? I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like that would be a next step I would love to see. That's not a fly feature request. It's just like, can we get everything in the Honeycomb now that we have it set up and specifically logs? you know, from the, from the app specifically. Exactly. Yeah. The app telemetry, the Elixir Phoenix. Oh yes. I would so love that. I mean, that was like on our list for like a long, long time, but now that we did the migration, we can start focusing on these things, how to do that integration, how to get the app logs into JSON format, into Honeycomb, so we can slice them and dice them now that, that everything is set up for us. How can we get the fly proxy logs into Honeycomb as well? Is it even possible? I don't know, but we would want that. That was the important one, ingress nginx logs in Kubernetes. We were really using those big time because that was the mm-hmm. interface between Fastly and the application. And okay, there was like a Linode node balancer as well, but that was like a layer four, I believe. So it wasn't like, you know, like um in, in the in the in the network stack. Mm-hmm. So that was that was okay. The PostgreSQL backups, that is a big one. But the biggest one for me are the certificates. Mm. So we used to use Cert Manager in LKE. Our certificates will expire in two months if we don't do anything and things will break. So we have two months to fix this problem. <laughs> so we got a new deadline. Yeah, we have a new deadline. You exactly. expand it from 48 hours out to two months. Exactly. <laughs> that is like the next step. So by, by the time we have the next Kaizen, we will have a story about this. So how we solve that. And it's not an easy problem. It's not an easy problem because... So describe the problem. Why is it more difficult on Fly? So we were running Cert Manager before, which was managing our certificates. Fly... Right is able to manage certificates, but we can't get the private key. And because we can't get the private key, we can't upload it to Fastly, to the CDN. If the CDN, if Fastly manages certificates for us, no one else can, which means that Fly can't. Because they add, they mm. add a CNAME record for like the Acme Let's Encrypt integration, and only one of them can manage it at one, any one time. If Fastly does it, we can't get the private key. If Fly does it, we can't get the private key. So only one can have it at any one point in time. So maybe, maybe this time around we can use Fastly. So Fastly will manage the certificates for us. Fly won't because Fly, we use the fly.dev domain anyways, and hence the the issue with robots tech. So maybe that is the the -hmm. simplest thing. Let Fastly manage our certificate. What about you, Adam? What is the thing that you would like to happen next? I think just keep going copacetic, you know? I don't have any particular requests. I've been enjoying Honeycomb. I know both of you have desires to get more of our logs and whatnot into Honeycomb. I know in particular, I've been enjoying how I can communicate back to the two of you when I have challenges. I know I had an upload challenge recently that I was able to describe with data, not just complaint, which I think is really awesome whenever you complain or suggest there's a bug or an issue. And I've been enjoying Honeycomb for that reason. Plus a lot of the stuff we're doing around podcasts, there's, you know, we have our own dashboards and metrics inside of the app itself, but there's different ways you can actually slice and dice the logs inside Honeycomb, which is, I think it's pretty unique side. I like that. So I've been enjoying Honeycomb from that perspective and just getting more of the app logs in there would be kind of interesting too. So Mm. I look forward to that. I look forward to, I guess I'll tee up if you don't mind your next episode then. So after episode 50, you're having Mark on from Fly. Yeah. 
talking deeply about other specifics. Can you can you kind of talk about what that's going to be about? What's that show going to be about? So it was literally the follow up to this one. Like take mm-hmm. all the things that we've learned about fly, all the things that we would like to see improved, all the things that are maybe coming in fly that would help us, things that we would like to know about. And how do we continue strengthening our collaboration? Because this is a first great collaboration, similar to Honeycomb, and I'm very fond of that. I think that was the one that, mm-hmm. you know, really, really shines among all our partners in that we can do things in a different way. And I really enjoy that. So what does the equivalent look with Fly? What about the upgrades? What about the build packs? Like, what don't we know when it comes to the Fly platform? Because we come from Kubernetes, maybe we're doing certain things in a way that in Fly are suboptimal. So what are those things? What can we do better that we don't even know about that the platform solves for us? And this mm-hmm. is like, you know, going back, I know that we're holding it wrong, but I don't know what right looks like. So can Mark tell us what like right looks like? Right, maybe a cert manager, maybe this whole scenario around certificates could be like, okay, well, we can actually hit this flag and enable you to see your private key and you could take it elsewhere if you want to. So we manage it, but sure, we'll share that private key with you, either behind the scenes or yeah. in a UI if that's, Maybe not a security measure, but uh, he'll probably have some sort of reasoning for that. Like Jared said, there's a reason for they're doing it. But And Jared, maybe you get some of your feature requests right away. It's like Mark listens to this show before episode 51, and here you go. Here's some presents. It's not even Christmas. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, episode 50, big deal. A year later, we're on a new platform. We're saying hello to new partners, which is amazing. Uh, I, like, I like Fly. I like Kurt. I like the team. A lot of respect there. And I think... What next? What's next for me? Really, the big thing is is just hope. Is that we can help improve the Fly platform. We can help improve our platform, and then as we, you know, continue down that journey, we'll share that story here on ShipIt. And if, as a listener, you're running Kubernetes, you're managing Kubernetes, but maybe at a level higher up, I'm thinking Cloud Run, and you want to partner with us, I would be very keen to trying out another origin. Like Fly is great. We really like it but it's always a strength in diversity. Can we see what does the alternative look like? Can we still remain plugged in the ecosystem? Which, let's be honest, the majority are using Kubernetes. And if we don't use Kubernetes ourselves, the best one out there, will we have the same insights? Will it still be as relevant? Will I be able to have the conversations that I wish I could have with some of the future guests on the show? Mm. So if you know a platform that does Kubernetes really, really well, and maybe it's like a layer up from that, and you would like you know, us to run a change log there, reach out to us. I'm very keen to have that conversation and to try it out and to see how it compares because, you know, one of my sayings, you always want two of the same thing, you know, in this case, Origins. So Fly, it's amazing just to have Fly, but what if Fly goes down? It will happen. Let's be honest about it. Fastly, it can take five years in case it, in ca- it can take 10 years maybe less, we, we don't know. That's the one thing which we don't know, but we do know that it will go down at some point. So how do we mitigate against that? What is the plan B? Because right now there's no plan B, right? It's mm-hmm. fly or, I mean, we have Fastly in front, great. You're speaking of like business continuity kind of failover type situation where if the platform fly fell down, there was an outage, yeah. failover, switchover, site continues to be deployed. Mm-hmm. That's what you have with a Kubernetes system is you can you know, move to a different origin. As Just another origin. Right. So plan B is another origin. Maybe the other origin is still a Kubernetes origin. And I mean, let's be honest, the world is moving multi-platform. I mean, that that's what's already happening. And some systems are so complicated that it takes years. And I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of engineering hours to get it there. Our system is, is a lot simpler. And we've been improving it. We've been like, you know, making it as portable and as small and as streamlined as possible. So it shouldn't be that difficult to run it elsewhere. PostgreSQL will have a single instance, right? We have like some, and now we have like a replicas as well. We have readers, like all that's managed. So we can connect to that. We may need to set up a WireGuard tunnel, but that's okay. Not a problem. We can do that. So the database will be the same, but can we run it on a different platform? Maybe. We can dream. If you're not dreaming, what are you even doing? That's right. If you're into that journey and you're, you're listening to this show and you, and you haven't subscribed yet, the easiest way to do that is to go to changelaw.com slash ship it. And there's all the ways to subscribe to the show there. So if you're digging this journey so far, or if you've been here for all 50, thank you. If this is your first, because somebody's like, hey, there was this show and 
this migration and this and that or whatever, you know, welcome. Go subscribe and uh, and join us on this journey. And if you're at KubeCon EU Valencia, I'll be there. Look me up. Yes. If we want to record something, we can go for that. Just have a conversation. I still love Kubernetes, even if we're on fly. By heart, still beats Kubernetes. Every every other beat is is Kubernetes and is cloud native. So we still <laughs> like that very much. So yeah, let let us know what is new and what else we don't know because I'm sure things are changing all the time. What's the best way to reach out to you? What is the best way? Well, Twitter, Gerhard Lanzi on Twitter. Also on the Changelog Slack. I'm, oh, yes. I check it out at least once a day. So there's, or request an episode, that's like another way, or Gerhard at changelog.com. That also works. And we'll have this in the show notes too. You mentioned issue 407, which is quite thick. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of details there. So as an encouragement from there, from here, reach out to Gerhard about KubeCon, EU and what's happening there. Mm-hmm. And then also dig deep into issue 407. We'll link it up in the show notes. There's lots of details to go through there. So if you if you just enjoy the details of this kind of migration and you want to learn from our learnings, then yeah. good spot to go. I hope you enjoyed the show, Simi. Tell us what we should do next. <laughs> Simi declare. <laughs> <Can I listen? laughs> we are listener driven. <laughs> Not Rust. What yeah, what crazy dot rust. Okay, baby go. So okay. Microservices. K native, yes. Okay, native. Cloud run. I can already see it. (laughs) Someone stop me. (laughs) Slow down, slow down. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jared, for joining me. This is a great pleasure. Always having you, always being a Kaizen. They're like so, so different, so special to me. Thank you very much for being part of the journey. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to the next one. Kaizen. 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 Thank you for tuning into another episode of Ship It. Check out our other podcasts for developers at changelog.com slash master. You can connect with like-minded developers from all over the world via changelog.com slash community. Thank you Fastly for the worldwide low latency changelog.com. Our listeners love those blazing fast MP3s. Your beats are awesome breakmaster cylinder. That's it for this week. See you all next week. My last thing for today is wondering what happens next now that we have migrated from Kubernetes to Pass. What am I missing? It has been a good six years since I've used the Pass for production, and I'm sure many things are different today. If you migrated from Kubernetes to a Pass and want to share your story, find me on changelog.slack.com or Twitter at Gerhard Lasker.